Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Right, Reds, Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. Five in a row for the Reds as Mo Salah dispatches Fulham from the spot. I'm here with James, Kiever and Andy, with plenty on the agenda, including Derwin's central role in Wednesday night's win, and we'll also explain why Liverpool fans booed the national anthem. But first, those three little words. Kiever. The best run. I was going to say yet, but that's four, isn't it? Mm. I'm still bad at this, aren't I? <laughs> It will not. Um, I don't think any of us are any good at this. Yeah, but they've won five games in a row. Like they've only won four, I think, before. So this is just massive, isn't it? Yeah, considering what we've seen this season, you know, it's. Uh, I know it feels a little bit like it's dwindling to an end, but yeah, I mean, winning runs—they're they're always good. Andy, three words: gritty, not pretty. Oh, well, nice one. Now he spent some time thinking about this. <laughs> Kiva, learn your lesson. <laughs> to be Hello. fair, James. To be fair, with the game last night, you did have a bit of time to have a think. James. Um, I'm going for winning ugly again. It felt like it had been a long time. Yeah, yeah, it did. It did. Well, let's see what they're saying on the Walk On podcast Facebook group. John Wallace said five straight wins. Straightforward. Tom Wilkinson. Another ticked off, Steve O'Brien, not the prettiest. George Vuzarakis, has Nunes regressed? Well, that's an interesting question that will take us into the, the first section. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. James, has he regressed? Um, Has he regressed? I, th- I, think, I think you've got to frame it in the... In, in in the perspective that he's had very few opportunities to shine in the last few months. I mean, that Wednesday night was the first time he started as Klopp's central striker since that shambolic defeat at Molyneux two months ago. You know, and, and I think also you have to view it in the context of Cody Gagpo has, has been given that central role and flourished to such an extent that you kind of think, well, he is now the long-term successor to Firmino, and yeah, when you watch when you watched Nunes last night, you think he has got a hell of a lot still to learn. You know, that adaptation process is still very much ongoing. Um, yeah, I must admit, I, I probably I think rewind to just before the World Cup, and he had he scored twice, didn't he, against Southampton? And I think it felt like he was going to the World Cup in like in a real good place, and you expected him to kick on in the second half of the season. Now that hasn't quite happened, but. I still think there's a player there. I don't think I. I, I think you know. I. I, he's, I know he came in for some stick for his performance last night, but I still thought there was bits to admire. You know, he he won the penalty, doing exactly what Klopp and Pep Linders have been de- demanding more from him, which is you know when Klopp said the other week, you know, counter pressing has to be the ticket into this team, and it was like 
you know, that must, that felt like a big moment for him and for them. Cause it was like, well, this is exactly what we've been talking about. You know, you gave the ball away cheaply, but then you embarked on this mad dash to get it back. You know, you, you forced the mistake from Diop and yet contact was, was minimal, but that was a big moment. And it, and it showed that's, that's a side of his game that he really still needs to develop. Do you feel like he's trying to prove himself a bit? Like I wasn't at the game last night, but I was there on Sunday. And when he came on against Tottenham, he was almost ice skating around the pitch looking for trouble. He was like trying to get involved. Obviously that paid off last night when he wins the penalty. I just feel like there's this pressure that's just been with him all season. Yeah. And obviously I've mentioned Haaland in comparison because they have been compared to each other all season. And I think Nunes just looks like a player to me who's just still trying to find his way. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more in the sense of, I mean, we'll probably frame the question in the wrong way, really, because when we say he regressed, I mean, from what point are we talking about? It's been a difficult year for the team. It's been a difficult year for, you know, the individuals right across the side. And his lack of development is probably a consequence of that as well. Although I was with him um, a couple of weeks ago, I was with a former player at Wembley for the semi-final who slaughtered him and was saying there isn't a player there. I, I, I disagree. I think there's something in there, but I, I think that's another important point, Kiva, that to pick up on that even within the club, and we've said this before, when he signed, they compared him to Harland in the sense that Harland was the finished product and he wasn't. And they knew he had a, a long development phase coming in front of him. So he wasn't ready to play at the elite level immediately. And they, they didn't really put a time frame on it, but he was a work in progress. And I think we're seeing that to a, to a great extent. Has everyone been a bit hurt on him, Andy? I, th- I think, I mean, I, I think he's struggling for confidence at the moment. I, th- I don't think, and I think it's because he's not hit that, that run of form that everyone's been sort of waiting for. And it is interesting because you think back to early parts in the season and he was, he was Liverpool's only sort of ray of hope. Um, at times he felt like the only one who you look to and think, well, if anyone's going to do anything, it's going to be him. Whereas that's changed now. And he's now, you would say fifth in the pecking order, which is mad. And it's probably, it's probably really you know difficult for him to quite sort of just process that the fact that he's gone from the, and and he's still certainly loved by by Liverpool fans but he's gone from being the sort of the main man who everyone was looking to to suddenly you've got Cody Gakpo who's come in you know six months after him and and settled into his system and understood it and and been able to execute it better than him and then you've got you know Jota and Diaz coming back from injuries who who have instantly moved ahead of him in, in the pecking order. So I think there's probably a confidence element to it. The English problem, which Klopp has, has alluded to a couple of times, is obviously a you know a thing. And there was a couple of times last night where Klopp was trying to get a point across to him and then you know he had to he looked to Linders and Linders had to get up and sort of try and try and help him with it. You know, it's it's one of them, isn't it? Because there's a clear willingness from Nunes that he wants to learn and he wants to be part of it. And but it, it does feel like he's been at his best when Liverpool have been in a mess this season or sort of structurally more chaotic, whereas now they've got this this more structured system. Like Gakpo, as we've said, is, you know, the next Firmino. Nunes is is, is different to that. You know, he's, he's not that link player. He, he's not... And that, that's the thing, I think, that, that can frustrate people is he's not the one who drops deep into the pockets and, and links it. He's the one who wants to get him behind. And it's Liverpool still trying to adapt to a completely different... You know, forward playing as that number nine, if that's where he's going to play. You know, as Kiva said earlier on as well, that 
I think the trying too hard thing has definitely been a big factor as well. We saw that on his home debut against Crystal Palace, doing something that no one had seen from him before in terms of, I remember speaking to Portuguese reporters and they were like scratching their heads going, well, you know, he was, he was used to getting rough treatment off defenders and he, you know, he would usually just punish them with his, with his brilliance. He wouldn't usually like headbutt them. Um, but it was, you know, and, and Klopp, Klopp touched upon himself, didn't he? I think he said, he said, I think there was a quote earlier in the season when he said, Darwin is just sometimes in a bit too much of a rush. And it's just that desperation. To, you know, I've got to do something. I've got to, you know, that, that maybe that, you know, the, the big price tags playing on his mind, you know, the competition for places, you know, I'm, I'm at this big club where the scrutiny is so great and I've, I've got to produce it and I've got to do it now. And, and, and sometimes, yeah, he does, he has snatched at, at opportunities, but there's definitely a player there. And, and he's, and I, and I think the, the Harlan thing is very unfair because I think it was just unfortunate in a way that, you know, obviously both arrived at their clubs at similar times. And then you had, you know, Nunes obviously scoring in the Community Shield and everyone laughing at Haaland's expense when he missed that sitter. And then, of course, you know, Nunes comes on and changes the game against Fulham on the opening weekend. But when you actually take a step back, I mean, they're not they're not comparable in any possible way. You know, Nunes had had one great season for Benfica. Ben, uh, Nunes was still playing in the Spanish second division for Almira when when Haaland was lighting up the Bundesliga with with Dortmund and and even the finances aren't comparable because you know forget forget the so-called you know transfer figures and people will say oh you know 85 million well it wasn't 85 it was 65 and you can have to go some to trigger all the add-ons that could potentially lead to Liverpool paying Benfica 85 and of course Haaland didn't really cost City 51 million or whatever it was with all the agents fees no, and no. The, the outrageous wages on on top of that so yeah I, th- I thought it was interesting with you know nine Premier League goals but he's got 15 in all comps which is only two less than Suarez scored in his first full season at Liverpool and then mm. you know he took off after that and I wouldn't bet against Nunes doing something similar yeah we can't we definitely can't raise him off but Kiva we're, we're talking about someone who's you know arguably underachieved I, I think he's pretty par for the you know course really I think it's um really to expect much more from him would have been would have been you know too demanding. But let's look at the other end. What about Allison? I mean, where would Liverpool be without Allison? He's the best goalkeeper in the league, isn't he? I mean, I watched the highlights of that game. Two massive moments, two big saves. You just expect them to make that. He's a one v one king. Like, all right, there's been times this season when you know that's failed him because I think there's been quite a lot of pressure on him and a lot more 1v1s he's had to face than he did last season, given the midfield and the defence and all of that. But he's just been the one player that has just maintained his performances throughout the season. All right, there was that night against Real Madrid and the mistake and, you know, been little moments in the season. But looking at him and the saves he's made, and especially that 1v1, he's just that last line of defence. I Right, so... You know, when you you like a striker like Haaland, we've just mentioned him, and he's 1v1 and you're like, well, he's about to score. If he's 1v1 versus Alisson, you're thinking Alisson could save this. And I think that's the best way of putting it. It's like this confidence that I used to have about strikers. Now I've got about a goalkeeper, which is you know quite a rare thing that I'm like, you know, someone's 1v1 with Alisson. I think he might... He might stop this. He's going to stop this. He's going to have a, a much a chance of stopping it as, you know, maybe the player is of scoring. I think he is just incredible. And I think if he can keep that level next season, 
I think that's the worry, isn't it? If he sort of, you know, drops off at all, given that he's held Liverpool up for so much, that's that's the one worry going into next season. But you'd imagine he'd he'd keep on keeping on because he's just been, I mean, quite tremendous since he signed for Liverpool. Yeah, I, I think he's the best one versus one keeper I've seen in the Premier League since Peter Schmeichel, who was brilliant at that. So, I mean, and that's praise indeed. And, Andy, we saw you did your English homework last night. Let's see if you did your maths. Apparently, he's 9.3 above his post-shot XG. I don't know what that means. (laughs) That means... (laughs) I bet you know. (laughs) Basically, I think... I think that basically means that he saved a lot more than he probably should have and Liverpool should have conceded a fair few more than they actually have. I thought it was it. I saw the stats yesterday on, on Twitter which said that he'd made... I think I think this is right. He'd made a hundred saves this season, which was the first time in in the Premier League, which is the first time he'd had to do that playing for Liverpool, which is somewhat of an indictment of of what's been going on in front of him. Yeah. But it shows well, that well, well, checking me notes. I haven't done this myself. Apparently, it means that an average keeper would have conceded nine more goals. Yeah, I mean, it's been, exactly. It's been the same case for Allison. The same thing last season. You know, he's he's always up there in terms of that. Liverpool should always have conceded more had it not been for Allison mm. in those moments when, you know, sometimes the the chance the players have one v one, there's a big percentage to say they're gonna score, but Allison somehow, some way stops them. And I think it's his technique, isn't it? The way he sort of like lurches at them and his arms sort of outstretch. It's it's quite a, a unique hybrid of like I think it's like a smother but also like a, a block at the same time. It's it's it is very unique when you watch it. Here's my problem with him: his goal scoring's dropped off, hasn't it? <laughs> Still getting assists, though. He certainly is. This is Walk On, brought to you by the Athletic. <laughs> Tony Evans here with James Pierce, Kiefer O'Neill, and Andy Jones with Walk On. Well, Kiefer. Jürgen's team weren't the only Liverpool side in action last night, were they? You were a Kings medal for the WSL game between Chelsea, well, against Chelsea. And uh, how, how did that one go? Liverpool took an early lead in the second minute, which was pretty much unexpected against Chelsea. You've just battled Barcelona in the semi-finals of the Champions League. So Emma Coivisto scored for Liverpool and then Liverpool held on for ages and I felt like, oh my God, if they just get, you know, that feeling of just get to half time with this lead and then Neve Charles, who come through at Liverpool and, and moved to Chelsea a couple of years ago, scored a header. You know, sometimes it's just written, isn't it, for certain players to score against their old club and it just felt like the moment for her. And then once Liverpool had gone into half time 1-1, you just kind of felt inevitably... Chelsea are going to come out the second half and, and score another. But they, they actually struggled to do that until uh, Jesse Fleming hit the crossbar and the ball kindly fell to Sam Kerr. And that's one player on the pitch you'd absolutely do not want any kind yeah. rebounds falling to because she just gobbled it up and tapped it in. And obviously, 86 minutes, that was that. So they'd be disappointed not to have you know held on for the point. But there's still a chance for them to have a say in this WSL title race. They're not at the top of it, of course. They're on 19 points and, you know, are safe from relegation, which I think was their main objective this season. But they play Man City at the weekend and then they've got a game away against Villa and then they play Man United at Prenton Park on the last day of the season. And Man United are currently top of the table. So Liverpool still, if they play like that, have the chance to upset someone's um, potential party. Yeah, and... 
and let's face it, first season back in the top flight, and you, you know, you look at them, and they've done well. I mean, nineteen points from nineteen games at one, you know, uh, at one juncture in the season, it looks as if they might get sucked into the relegation fight, but they just pulled away, didn't they? Yeah, I think that's been important because you know the the sort of noise and the sound coming out the club was. Right, get back to the WSL and then consolidate that place and then build from there. So I think that mm. was the main objective and they've sort of ticked that off. So now it'll be about, you know, big summer, different signings, maybe people, perhaps other players leaving and just sort of a similar transition probably from Liverpool because they've got a lot of older players and younger players and I guess it's sort of blending that going forward and, and seeing if, you know, they can eventually get back up to, you know, winning WSL titles, which is, you know, 10 years ago, that's what they were doing. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at Man United, who basically created a side from nothing, and they're in the title race now. How quickly can Liverpool close that gap, and have they got the have they got the will to do it? I think so. They certainly look like a, a group now that look like they can be maybe the disruptors next season, like Aston Villa have been this season. I think it'll be difficult. They still feel a way off, you know, watching Chelsea carve through them at times last night it still felt like you know Liverpool are way off performing at that level I guess it's resources and funding as well and the budget and you know. yeah well that, that's what I meant I mean not the group of players did they have the will do the club have the will to put the resources in yeah th- I think that's you know the point a lot of people make because I mean you look I've mentioned a decade ago Liverpool won back-to-back WSL titles had more funding been pushed pushed put into them at that time you'd imagine they could be the superpower of you know, women's football in England, maybe even in Europe right now, had that sort of momentum and, you know, been maintained of, of funding and resources and different things. And that's not to say they're not getting funded and whatever, but as, you know, their level of funding might have been better, other teams like Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United have started to put more in and Liverpool have just fell behind. So, you know, there is still a gap there that needs to be bridged and it'll be interesting to see whether that happens. And that was the sound many Liverpool fans will recognise, I certainly do, the boon of the national anthem at Wembley. This Saturday, Liverpool take on Brentford at Anfield on the same day as the King's coronation, and the Premier League have asked all clubs to play the anthem before the fixtures. Here on Walkham, we want to have a discussion about the issue and explain why the anthem is booed, knowing that not all our listeners are from the UK or even the city. What does everyone make of it? I mean, I'll talk about the historical context of it in a moment. But Andy, I'll come to you first because, you know, you're pretty young. So it's um, what, what's your view on it? Well, I completely understand why Liverpool do it. And as you're you're probably going to allude to, because I've, you know, learned about the reasons why the hardships and the the, the managed decline that Liverpool as a city have been, uh, you know, subject to, and then obviously you you factor in the, the Hillsborough elements and the um, the states that that didn't support Liverpool fans. Yeah, I completely understand why why Liverpool fans do it because you know that this is every reason to, and, and this is this is why we do it. Yeah, I mean, Kiva. It invariably provokes a backlash from opposing fans, well, certain type of opposing fan, and leads to a a plethora of Hillsborough abuse and Hillsborough denial. Um, do you think 
in the circumstances, it's actually worth doing. I think it's something Liverpool fans have done for such a long time and, you know, growing up and, and learning about it, as Andy says. And I think Cy Hughes has got a, a great piece on The Athletic about, you know, the history behind it, which I'm sure you'll get into, Tony, yourself. But for, for me, it's always been an anti-establishment protest almost, hasn't it? Something that is just deep-rooted in how the city is, socialism of the city. And obviously, like Andy mentions there, it, it always felt, for those who died at Hillsborough, it felt for, you know, it it just, it feels like a movement and a protest and one that's not always maybe respected because people just jump on it as something that would upset the king now, I guess, which is, you know, was, was Prince William at Wembley last season, I think, and Liverpool fans booing the anthem while he was there, I think was probably sparked a bit of, what are they doing? That's so offensive to him. But, it's not necessarily about him or the royal family necessarily. And I think that's, you know, the important point to make that it's about the establishment as a whole. It's not about any one thing. It's about this almost conglomerate of things that Liverpool fans disagree with. James, you, you know, you can, you moved to the city, you know, you weren't born there, you know, like us three and grew up there. What did you make of this Scouse exceptionalism and the 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 sort of attitudes that lead to the booing when you moved there. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it was a bit of an education for me learning about it. Yeah, where 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 I grew up in the the southwest of England in the city of Bath, you can guarantee that the the bunting will be out in in full force this this weekend. And even even a couple of days ago, I was up in in Yorkshire, and it's hard to believe it's the same country at times. Like. You know, you go around Ilkley in Yorkshire and there's just Union Jack flags hanging everywhere and pictures of King Charles. And, and it's, yeah, I must admit where I live in South Liverpool, it's like it's it's it just couldn't be any more different, could it? And as the guys just articulated so well, you know, you, you kind of learn about that history and you think, well, actually, yeah, it does make sense. And, it, and I think it all ties in as well to the patriotism. The, 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 you know, I think most most people from this city don't, it's not something they associate with, is it? You know, it's just, you, know, it, you see it when major tournaments come around with, with the England football team as well. And it's, you know, it all feeds into the same thing is that that's not their identity. That's not, that's not who they are. That's those people don't represent them. It's just a world away from you know some guy having a crown put on his head in London. What relevance has that got to the lives of people in this city, especially people in this city who have been treated so badly by the establishment for so long? Really, the historical context is important. I mean, I've probably written about this more than more than anyone else in, in football context. And the perception of the city in the United Kingdom changed during the potato famine after the potato famine, when Liverpool was swamped by refugees. It went from being, its nickname was Tory Town, to becoming people referred to it, the press referred to it repeatedly as the capital of Ireland. And that wasn't meant to be a positive thing. It was a sneering thing. You've got to remember that the word Scouse was an insult aimed at the poorest Irish people, which was re you know reclaimed by those around 
particularly in about 100 years ago around the Scotland Roads area, which was very Irish. I mean, you know, I, I grew up around there and very, very conscious that we had an Irish nationalist MP until 1929. So that this was a city that was outside the body politic of the United Kingdom or regarded as an outsider and seen that way. So the roots of being anti anti-establishments and anti-London go back way deeper than the more recent stuff. you got to remember that at the 1950 and 1965 finals, the anthem wasn't booed, but instead of singing God Save the King and God Save the Queen, Liverpool fans sang God Save Our Team. You know, and that was a pretty... A pretty big thing. I grew up without any consciousness of being English. You know, I was Scouse, and that was really important. And even before, you know, all this um, St. Patrick's Day nonsense goes on now, the, the, the drinking things, on, on, on the 17th of March, relatives in Ireland sent over a shamrock, and we wore, all wore a shamrock, and that was an assertion of identity. And you've also got to remember, this is a city which it's died down now, but certainly when I was growing up, had a fairly um, fairly big religious divide, like Northern Ireland and like uh, Glasgow, where the Orange Lodge marched. And a large proportion of the population were made to feel as if they were outsiders. And if you follow the treatments in the press all the way through, you, you, you can see that this Scouse exceptionalism actually does have validity. And by the time you get to the, the the 80s and all of this played into the view of the Thatcher government as Liverpool being a, a rogue city, the idea of managed decline when they actually considered withdrawing resources from the city to, for, to starve people out, make them move. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling that was even considered. And then we get Hillsborough. I'm sure had Hillsborough happened to any other city in the country it would have been handled differently by the media and by the governments and by the authorities so this all plays into a sense of almost being betrayed by the nominal nation we were born in and god save the queen or god save the king is the biggest symbol of of that nation it's the national anthem and so we have always wanted to make it clear that we don't believe we belong as part of it. And also, we don't believe that those who are playing the anthem want us. So this is the context for us booing the national anthem. And I think it's a daft move by the Premier League to bring politics into football, because it's political, whether you like it or not, and put us in a situation where, I mean, wherever you think of the rights or wrongs of it, Anfield will not be silent and listen to the national anthem, or join in, there will be an expression of distaste for it for all the reasons I've spoken about. It is difficult to understand if you're an outsider, and it doesn't, you know, in many ways, it's not meant to insult you. What it's meant to is to show you that we don't believe we've been treated in the correct manner, and we are not going to take that lying down. But, I mean... James, should they have played on Coronation Day? And we're recording this before the club have made a decision whether it will be played. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of whether they should have played on Coronation Day, I don't see any reason why they, they shouldn't. And it, and it was this request from the Premier League only landed at Liverpool's door last Friday afternoon. And obviously by that point, changing fixtures at that kind of notice was would have been a complete no-go. So... um 
yeah, I think from the people I've spoken to at the club, it's it's almost yeah, they they know it's it, effectively it's a damned if you do and you're damned if you don't because take the, the Mail on Sunday or the Daily Mail who pride themselves on this kind of tub thumping patriotism. It's either the shame of Liverpool for not playing it or the shame of Liverpool fans for booing it. So which is the lesser of the two evils? And I know Liverpool have said that they were going to liaise with fans this week to make a final decision. I think the message was pretty crystal clear from the cop last night with what they were chanting about the coronation, that it's it's an emphatic no. Um, and so, yeah, I'd be absolutely amazed if the national anthem is played at Anfield on Saturday. Because also, the, you know, there was a lot of nonsense spoken earlier on in the season after after the death of the Queen. That kind of show of respect was never in doubt because someone's passed away, someone who, whatever you think of the monarchy, someone who'd who'd, who'd given a lot for this for this country, um, and there was a show of respect for her. But it, the coronation is a completely different thing. It would be completely nonsensical, I think, for the anthem to be played at Anfield on the weekend. James mentions that it is sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. If Liverpool, you know, as a club, decide to play it, then the fans are going to feel totally isolated from. You know that connection that they forge with the club. If it is played, it'll obviously be booed, and that protest that has gone on for decades will continue because this is a city that stands up for the people that aren't stood up for it. You know, I read a post earlier that there's more food banks than McDonald's, which is McDonald's restaurants, which is exactly something that I think people in this city think about as well. You know, there's 14 million people in poverty. If Liverpool fans boo the national anthem. It's not just about Liverpool as a city or, you know, what's happened in the past. Of course, all of that comes into it. But it's about now and the present day and how the city feels and how the people feel about what's happening in the country as well, be it against government or whatever else. But I think it's more about that. You know, this is a city that will stand up for anyone that needs them to. Yeah, and I I think the final word from me on it is perhaps if we would have made to be feel made to feel more welcome as part of this country traditionally then we wouldn't feel so much like outsiders and we wouldn't boo anthems this is walk on brought to you by the athletic We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. This is Walk On from The Athletic with me, Tony Evans, James Pearce, Kiefer O'Neill and Andy Jones. Right, let's talk about the actual game itself. Is this weekend, Andy, going to be decisive in the race for the top four? And am I actually 
overstating it by calling it the race for the top four <laughs> when when Liverpool are, you know, to use horse racing terms, trails off a little bit. Yeah, Liverpool have sure they've still got the binoculars out looking at they're trying to find Newcastle and Man United in the distance, aren't they? But it, it I think it is because you I mentioned it on a, a pod pre, you know, recently that the games are just running out effectively. This, you know, there are still games that you look at that Newcastle and Man United have both got, and you think, oh, you know, maybe they might drop points there. But you know, they've got one of them's got to have a pretty dramatic, uh, horrendous end to the season, haven't they? Really, and and that's that's still providing Liverpool win win all of their remaining games. So, yeah, it, it could be decisive in that it could give Liverpool a little bit of a boost. You know, United play Brighton. Both of them can't win. Um, and Newcastle have got Arsenal and Arsenal still hanging around in that title race and just trying to put as much pressure on. So, there, there's potential there where you, you think both or, or one of them could drop points and then, you know, that does, does, does lessen the gap a little bit. But the problem is there's just so few games left. You're struggling to see how, you know, either of them who have... You know Newcastle, especially who, who thought you would have thought might have, have dropped off under the pressure. They've just seemed to get you know be getting stronger as as the season finishes. So you know you, you haven't not, neither have really given you that hope of like oh the wobbling here. Um, and when you've got so few games left, that usually means that Liverpool are probably just going to fall short. I think they will drop points though for them teams, but whether that'll be enough points, you know, you currently look. At well, yeah, that's that, that's the thing. They've got games in hand, haven't they, Kiva? Yeah, well, Man United. You're looking at that and thinking four points off, but then they've got two games in hand. Obviously, Andy mentions there they've got to got to win those games to you know make sure they go ahead. Should they lose them, then I think there'll be more of a conversation. I do think they will drop points both of those teams, whether that's a draw before the end of the season or a defeat. But I just don't know if it will be enough points. And obviously, we know Liverpool are on the march at the minute, but you know, there's still a little bit of vulnerability around them and I, I don't know. Yeah. On the limp, I'd say, on the limp. Yeah, I, I'm not 100% if, if Liverpool can win every game left too. It feels like there's yeah. movement right now, but I'm, I'm not sure. Well, that's what I was going to say, James. Do you think Do you think they can win out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm not so much worried about that. I think it, they are just running out of games for those other teams to, to drop sufficient points. When you look at the numbers... I mean, United have still got three home games that you look at, and they got Wolves at home, Chelsea at home, Fulham at home. I, I just don't see them, even even if they slip up in the games they've got away from home, win those three, that'll take them to 72 points and out of Liverpool's reach. Newcastle effectively needs seven points to finish above Liverpool. And you, you think... like, I think that's the only possible little chink of light is the fact that you look at the teams that Newcastle are playing you know they got Arsenal. They've got Leeds that are still obviously. They've got the the footballing mastermind, the Sam Allardyce <laughs> there, who's going to completely change their fortunes. Um, you've got Brighton, who we know are tricky. Leicester fighting for their lives, and then but then unfortunately they do they do have Chelsea. I think on the final day that that that's an yeah. absolute give me at the moment. Um, and you also can't completely rule out Brighton, who you know they've seven points behind Liverpool, but have got three games in hand. So yeah, I think. I think common sense tells you that Liverpool are probably heading for a fifth place finish. Yeah, and Andy Brentford are a bit awkward, aren't they? I mean, since they come up, played them three times, won one draw, one last one. And while they might be, you know, the safe, so they mightn't be firing on all cylinders. They're they're, they're quite a good, well organised side, and they tactically 
the very coherence and I mean, you you think Frank might have Liverpool's number in terms of working out the system? Well, I, th- I think we've seen in the last in the last two games after after the three nil, um, after it went three nil against Tottenham, and then I think last night against Fulham, I think there was a few signs where where teams are beginning to work out a little bit how you can you can play around the Liverpool setup um, a little bit and, and how you can how you can affect it. And Brentford are very good at. Doing what they do, they're a little bit different in terms of the, probably they're a little bit more direct, aren't they? But they're just that strong physical team who, who can cause anyone problems. And when I mean, you look at their recent recent results, and there's no, I think they, you know, their, their aim is to just finish as high as possible, and that means to continue playing and continue to try and pick up points. So, and when you've got someone like you know Ivan Tony up front, who you know has, has caused pretty much every defence problems this season. It's it's never going to be easy. Um and, and you could see you can see how Brentford will will look to target, especially that sort of right channel, I guess, and and try and get likes of Mbuemo and and Tony sort of doing, you know, running that channel and, and trying to, to hold it up and, and then bring it up to play. So yeah, it's going to be far from easy and, and Liverpool I thought looked a little bit leggy last night. How many changes Klopp decides to make for, for Saturday's game will be interesting. But you know it has been a pretty you know intense couple of weeks or this will be the end of that, that intense couple of weeks so you do wonder how Liverpool are going to get through especially with the likes of a, a Fabinho who's played you know we had to play all the games um, and, and a couple of you know a couple of others have as well so um, you know it, it could be one of them that, that is a little bit tricky but you just hope that Liverpool have, have got enough to to get over the line and, and just keep that momentum momentum rolling. Yeah 3-0 at Anfield last season Kiva that would do us wouldn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I think when you think of uh, Brentford games, especially that one in January, felt like just the energy and the life of this Liverpool team were just sucked out of it that night. And it just felt like that was the fixture for me where I was like, oh God, this season has just been a madness. It just felt like that was where we all kind of realised it. Well, I think I did. I was looking just thinking, what is happening here? Um, so, you know, Liverpool are in a much different place a few months on now. So, you know, you'd be quite comfortable. They always score at Anfield. They always usually win at Anfield, which is the thing going into games like this. I think this has been a good little, you know, three games on the spin at home. has been good for Liverpool during this period because it has just helped them sort of consolidate. Maybe even not even have to travel as well. has probably been, you know, not a bad thing, just training and then looking forward to the games because it just felt like they've been a bit here, there and everywhere on the pitch and maybe off it as well at times over the past few seasons, at least. Well, James, to wrap up, what what do you expect to see from the team? Who will he pick, do you think? Yeah, I think I think he'll freshen up again with a relatively quick quick turnaround. I think I think we'll see Cody Gagpo back leading the line. I think it made sense to take to take him out of the sides because he's he's played a huge amount of football since he arrived at the at the start of January. But I think he'll come Come back in. You wonder whether he might freshen it up at centre half as well, because um, especially with the workload placed on Canate. Um, so you know maybe a chance for for Joel Matip, and then yeah, potentially I guess you know Andy Robertson. I'm sure will come back in for for Simicus. So um, so yeah, I think nothing major. Probably two three changes just to just to provide that that fresh legs. And I think what we know from Brentford is, <clears throat> despite them being one of the the few teams in the Premier League with little to play for. I, I don't think that means that they're going to be pushovers because he's he's done an incredible job there. Like they, they're such a great club. That was what the you know as miserable as that game uh, at their stadium was uh, back in January for Liverpool. That was the first time I'd been there, and you know what a what a club in terms of 
just you know, lovely people, the atmosphere they generate, just the enjoyment factor. They sing about their own team. They don't sing about stupid nonsense. And and he's given them a team there to be really proud of. And you only had to look at, you know, last weekend to come back in the way they did against Forrest, who obviously needed the points a lot more than they did. Shows that. And, you know, you can probably, there's probably a separate podcast and whether Ivan Tony should still be playing with, with I don't quite understand the, the logic of, of that dragging on and on and on, despite him having held his hands up to, to a lot of those charges. But he's a real he's a real menace. You know, he's up there with the top scorers in the Premier League for a reason. And they caused Liverpool a huge amount of problems at that. You know, that it wasn't just the three goals Liverpool conceded. I think they had two disallowed from set pieces as well. It was they caused absolute havoc. So yeah, Liverpool will need to be on it if they're gonna keep this keep this run going. Well, let's hope they can. But I think you're right. I think Brentford's will be a difficult proposition. Well, that's all from Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James, Kiva and Andy, as well as you for joining us. And remember, you can keep in touch with us through our Facebook group and also email us, walk-on at theathletic.com. You know, we'd love to hear what you've got to say and we'd love to hear voice notes from you. Uh, we'll be back after the weekend to talk about the Brentford game. Have a good one. The Athletic.